chapter 26. Um, Pastor Jeff came in this morning and just wasn't feeling well, and so uh, asked me to, to fill in tonight. And you know, when you have a, a clean slate with a day to, to determine what you're going to teach on, you know, there's just a lot of books in the Bible and a lot of chapters. Oh, what, you know, what, what am I going to teach on? And uh, I went back through, you know, I was trying to take the easy way out, go back through some of my, my old notes and resurrect an old teaching or something. And I, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. But as I prayed about it, God kind of impressed upon my heart since it was uh, communion that we were going to be doing tonight that to teach on, uh, on communion. And uh, just like God always does, I start down a path and then he slaps me up the side of the head or does something and gets me moving in the direction that he wants me to. And I was just really excited what, what he showed me through this. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily anything that's like new uh, revelation or anything for you. I think it's just going to be things that we're reminded of. Uh, but there are a couple things in there I think that certainly we need to, to meditate upon, especially in light of, of having communion uh, tonight together. So Matthew 26, uh, verses 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to look at your word tonight. And Lord, we desire for you to impress upon our hearts what it is that you want us to learn. And so, Father, we submit ourselves to you. We open ourselves up to you and, and just pray that, Father, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sharing in the Jewish feast called Passover. We know that. The Passover was the remembrance of God's deliverance from the death plague that killed the firstborn in Egypt. And God told Moses to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of every Jewish home so that death would pass over that home. Thus the name Passover. We have that from uh, Exodus chapter 12. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he became the lamb of God. He would die for the sins of the world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, so that death would pass over the one who believes in him. Now this remembrance of what he did is known as the Lord's Supper. For in it he broke of the bread that was on the table, and he said, This is my body broken for you. And he took the cup filled with wine and said, This is the blood of the new covenant. This new covenant is what God has now established with all people, that through faith and belief in Jesus, we will find forgiveness, hope, and love in knowing God. This is a personal, meaningful relationship with God, and it's now possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to regularly remember and experience His love, the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, communion, for all believers to take a part of. And he says in verse 29, I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
for us to be looking forward to while we're taking of communion here and recognizing what he did for us, he's given us something to look forward to as well. And that's being with him and taking of wine together with him in heaven. That'll let us be the coolest thing, I think. The first time that he does that, we are with him. Uh, so it's just a very exciting verse, I think. Uh, now, we have to remember with communion too, uh, over the years, that there have become two extreme positions concerning communion in, in church history that, that we want to avoid. Number one is that communion is necessary for salvation. That is, trusting in ritual rather than the Savior. And number two, since we are not saved by it, it must not be all that important. So why emphasize it or even practice it? And this, both of these are false teaching. They're just not supported in Scripture anywhere. We know that communion doesn't save us. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that He has instructed us to take of communion to remember what it, what it is that He did for us. So if you've ever been in a church, you visit a church, or you're part of a church now and just visiting with us tonight that currently teach either one of those things, leave, please. <laughs> they're, they're teaching heresy. That's just not correct. So one of the standards in church practice uh, and that's good biblical interpretation would require a threefold approach towards the Scriptures. Now stay with me on this. Number one, if Jesus taught it in the Gospels, if the apostles practiced it in Acts, and if Paul explained it in the epistles, then we should adopt it in our lives. They're all three in agreement, right? And we see that time and time again throughout the Scriptures. Paul was a master of explaining it and expounding upon the truths that we have in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see the new church practicing these things that they uh, had modeled before them in the life of Jesus and through the apostles, right? So those are the things that we should be adopting in our personal lives and also in the life of the church. So we know it's not scriptural to think that we're saved by communion, and it's not scriptural to neglect communion. So what I'd like to do tonight is look at three examples where we see communion in the Scriptures and of this thing called breaking bread and look at it in light of those three things that Jesus taught, us, taught it, the apostles practiced it, and Paul explained it. So let's go look again at Matthew 26, uh, 26 through 29. Let's read it again. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the, that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what do we see here? What's, what's being said? Verse 26 Right out of the gate, what's the first thing that said? And as they were what? Eating. Hence the Last Supper, right? I mean, they were having a meal. This was a meal that they were all setting, to, setting down together to have. And then Jesus took the bread and the wine, the, the common elements that you would have at a Jewish table, and he said, my body will be broken as this bread is broken for you, and my blood will be spilled out as this wine is spilled out for you. So Jesus was taking those very common elements that would be present at any 
Jewish meal and using them for a spiritual lesson for us, right? So there wasn't any magical bread or crackers there. There wasn't any magical wine or anything there. He was taking those elements to give us a spiritual principle that we could always look to. And so, I mean, the same is true today. Uh, there are religions that think the bread and the wine do something special and actually turn into the body and, and blood of Jesus Christ. That's just not true. Uh, I can tell you, I went to Sam's uh, this week and got grape juice there. Went out to the Christian bookstore and got the little crackers. Uh, nothing significant happened between here and there. Nothing special. It's crackers and it's grape juice, okay? Some of you may be disappointed because you thought, well, why? maybe it is wine, but it's not. It's grape juice. Uh, I have to say this, a few years ago, someone donated some juice for VBS, and it was prune juice, and John and I both thought it would be really funny to <laughs> substitute, but well, we didn't. Uh, there's <laughs> Something just kept us from doing that. Uh, <laughs> actually, John wanted to. I was totally against it. I, <laughs> uh, so... In Luke's account of this same thing in, in chapter 22, Jesus also says, this do in remembrance of me. Or remember me when you do this. So the focus is on, the emphasis is on Jesus, not the elements. We would all agree with that. I don't think there's anybody in here that would think otherwise. Uh, so we would all agree that we are to focus on Christ uh, during communion, but not just during communion, all the time. Uh, so let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. A section of scripture that's probably very familiar to most of us here because especially in Calvary Chapel, we refer to this scripture a lot because we believe that what's there in verse 42 is what the instruction is for us to do and do well as a church. And as you see here, do steadfastly. So uh, chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Let's read. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So there were four things there that they did steadfastly. The, the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of God's word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So breaking of bread was one of the four things that they did steadfastly. And then verse 46, we see them the term breaking bread again as they broke bread from house to house. So what's going on? We don't have uh, clear delineation there that says the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion. Those terms aren't being used. What's being used is what? 
breaking bread. Not all that unusual because we know that's exactly what Jesus did with his apostles at the Last Supper. So rather, they're, they're breaking bread together. They are eating a meal. I think we need to understand that in the Jewish culture, Jesus set an example for us that they were eating a meal and while they were eating this meal, they would use these same elements for that spiritual connection with Christ again in the sacrifice that he made for them. Uh, so either before, after, or during this breaking of bread and drinking of wine, which again was the base of what they had for food on the table on any, in any Jewish household, uh, and they were using it in remembrance of Christ and his death and resurrection. Now when I read that, something kind of rang true to me that isn't it interesting that they were using the time that they sat down to eat together to also remember the sacrifice that Christ had made for them. So not being from a Jewish background, I don't know how many times you know they eat a day, uh, whether they have first and second breakfast, or they just have one breakfast, I don't, I don't know. But let's say they ate three times a day. Let's say it's like our culture, and uh, unless you're a heavy grazer, you eat three times a day. And that's the opportunity then to three times a day, either by yourself or as a family, or as friends or co-workers, to give thanks for what God has done for us. So it's not just a a once-a-month ritual. It's, it's a lifestyle for us to be in a place and an opportunity, if you will, for us as we sit down to have a meal to give thanks to the Lord for the sacrifice that He's made for. Now, isn't that cool? Uh, I don't know how many of us do that. Uh, I have at times, but I'm, 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 I don't do it at every meal. But the opportunity is there. Uh, typically, we have some type of bread with our meal, you know, even if it's pasta. It doesn't really matter. The element doesn't matter. You can have grape juice or you can have water. You could have, I was even talking to some of the other guys, wouldn't it be great down in Bertha if we could somehow combine goldfish and communion, you know, just to save money, you know, <laughs> somehow if we get white cheddar goldfish, you know, I, I don't know, you know, probably not a good idea, but... Uh, as we sit down in, at mealtime together, especially as families, what, what would that say to our kids if we were doing that on a regular basis? It would be bringing attention to the Lord Jesus Christ every time we sit down to eat. Now, we give thanks for our meal, don't we? we? We all do that. You know, thanks for the food that I'm about to receive. But also, if we gave attention to, you know, the one that has provided us with everything, uh, I just think it's a great opportunity for us to do that. Uh, it would take discipline to do it for sure because everybody's hungry and they just want to jump in. But I think that we could take that time. I don't think that's any different than it was back then. Uh, you know, I think they love to eat as well. So it's not just his death on the cross, but we're also looking forward to his return. What I got from that last verse in chapter 26 of Matthew was this celebration that we have with Christ when we come together is just that. It's a time of celebration and rejoicing. We're, we're with Him. He's also trying to indicate to us that through communion, we have that same opportunity. We have that 
relationship, that association with Him in what He did for us, and we recognize that. And it should be a joyous time, shouldn't it? So we see in verse 46 in this chapter that they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. So whatever they're doing, however they're doing it, they must have been doing it right. Because you, you see what happens in the last part of verse 47. And the Lord did what? He added to the church daily those who were being saved. So they gave attention to those four things. The Apostles' Doctrine, God's Word, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayer. And I think, again, this was more than just a, hey, we're going to do it at this particular time. It was a lifestyle. Now, we have uh, the privilege, like we are tonight, to come together as a group of believers and celebrate uh, communion, celebrate what Christ has done for us. Obviously, we don't get to hang out together all week you know, to do that. We have our families and uh, <laughs> Maybe we don't want to hang out together anyway. I don't know. But uh, uh, we have that opportunity as the body of Christ to come together and, and celebrate that. So third, we see what we've done so far. We've looked at Jesus taught it in the Gospels, didn't he? He taught communion. Now we've seen it practiced in the book of Acts you know, through the apostles and, uh, and those that were coming to the Lord daily. Third, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to see in this how a good thing can go bad over a very short period of time. First Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start at verse 17. First, let me read verse 2. Uh, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. That's Paul speaking to the Corinthians here. So verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now here we see where Paul comes in with his, his teaching, his instruction, his explanation, if you will. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So, excuse me, <coughs> what's going on here? It's communion gone bad. You know, instead of breaking bread, they're breaking bad. And it's happened over a course of time, over a period of about five years. Paul was with them for about 18 months. And then in a five-year period, this whole thing kind of went south. Uh, when Paul was there, he established what would have been known as the Agape Feast or Celebration Feast. And it was a time when believers would gather together and share their meal in a common place. And then also during that time, they would partake of the Lord's Supper. For us, the modern day version of that, we would say would probably be a potluck, right? And when we gather together on the back deck and we do a big potluck. Uh, so in an agape feast that Paul set up here, they would have all this food, big meal, a lot of fellowship, and they would also break bread together. That's what Paul set it up uh, to be. The problem is, is that it become an indulgent feast and a drunken party. Some of what I may see on Saturday down at the park in Berthet, I don't know. Uh, so verse 18 and 19 says that there are, were also division and factions among them. So it sounds like things are starting to get a little clickish. It sounds like maybe there was the haves and the have-nots. Uh, maybe even to the point that there were the first people in line, you know, and they grabbed two hamburgers and two hot dogs and a whole lot of beans, a whole lot of chips, and by the time it got to the end of the line, there wasn't a whole lot left over uh, for, you know, someone else. Now, that's never happened here. Uh, you know, I got a half a hamburger last time we had a potluck. I'm just kidding. I had plenty to eat. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had that problem here where we ran out of food. But... It seems as though that kind of thing could be happening, that there were those that maybe were uh, more wealthy, maybe they held some level of stature in the community that were wanting special privileges. Maybe they were bringing their choice meats to eat and didn't want uh, certain people to eat. Who knows? I mean, let's face it, it was a bunch of people, so anything could happen and go wrong, right? Uh, so this was going on, and uh, obviously it got back to Paul, and he was not uh, happy at all. Uh, Paul's saying that, you know, it's bad enough for you to be doing these types of things, but it has nothing to do at all with the Lord's Supper. Now, if they were continuing still to break bread as the Lord's Supper, which I kind of doubt, I think it was just kind of a, you know, potluck gone bad. Uh, if they were, it, it just didn't mean the same thing anymore. It had kind of lost its flavor because uh, they weren't doing it with the right intentions. So how could something that was so simple and intended to be so Christ-focused become complex and self-focused, if you will? Even, again, let's go over the years, over a period of time, even 
ritualistic. How many, how many of us have been in a church or religious institution that things became very, very ritualistic? Uh, it's, it's a very easy thing to happen. It can even happen to us. We, we don't know it. And we never get uh, too carried away with it. But yet, anytime we just get in a routine and kind of take it for granted, that's what's happening. It becomes ritualistic. And I hope you understand my heart on this. I don't believe that's happening here at all. I, I just don't. I believe that every time we come in for communion, I believe everybody's heart's in a place where they truly want to share communion with the Lord through the, you know, through the Lord's table. I, I believe that. So, Paul's rebuke is not just about the agape feast gone bad, but he wants to also instruct them on the order and meaning of communion. So as Paul writes to them and tells them, here's all the things that I see that you're doing wrong, he also takes the time to instruct them. That's, that's the love of Paul. Paul's not going to leave it hanging out there just ridicule them and then just say, ah, forget you guys, you know, boy they or whatever, and move on. Paul is going to instruct them on the correct way uh, to do that. So let's look at verse 23 again. And you'll notice that this is the text that the majority of the time when we partake of communion, this is the text that we read. Isn't that interesting? Because that's the text that we reference, but look, look what's on each side of that. Isn't that interesting? This is something that we would, it's all holy text, okay, no doubt. But we look at something like this and we just think, boy, this has a special place in our hearts because of what it's saying in relation to something that we hold so sacred, taking of communion and recognizing the Lord's sacrifice in that. So verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Something interesting in there that I didn't even see until today looking at this is that we tend to think that these events take place one right after the other, don't we? In the same manner, verse 25, he also took the cup when? After supper. Two things to think of there. Okay, it's not one right after the other in this case, as Paul's reference to us, but it's also after supper. So for you people especially that want to call supper dinner, okay, right here. That one's for my wife as well who's not here. Uh, she corrects me on that all the time, and I've got this right now. Supper. Supper. Maybe it's a Midwest thing. I don't know, but supper. So we see that he's saying to them, uh, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. How many of you grew up in a church that have the communion table down front and the words printed across the front in remembrance of me? Uh, I did in one of those churches, and uh, not that it means anything. Again, it's grape juice, crackers, table, you know, it doesn't really matter. But uh, it is something for us to focus on, because what he's trying to say is, the purpose of you taking this is so that you remember what I did for you. Very simple. So, 
In simple verbiage, I guess, remember of me while you take of communion and proclaim my death until I come back. So we're proclaiming the death, we're proclaiming the cost, the sacrifice that he made for us, but it's done. Yes, he died, but he was resurrected and he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He's alive. So if you take the thing as a whole then, what should it be for us? Celebration, rejoicing. The sin in our life has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We should be happy about that. I don't want to minimize, I want to say this right now while it's, while it's on my mind. I don't want to minimize reverence. Okay, I, I don't want to minimize that at all. I, I think we should be reverent before the Lord. I think communion is a time to do that. But I don't think we should look like we're dying either. It's, it's reverent rejoicing, I guess. If you've got that figured out, tell me, because I'm not sure exactly what that is either. But uh, we should be rejoicing in, in our reverence towards Him because of what He's done for us. It's, it's, it's huge. So in the next few verses after this, Paul talks about the believer who takes communion in an unworthy manner. And I want to address that because, again, at Calvary Chapel, we want to take the text in context, don't we? So what is the unworthy manner that you think is being referred to here? What was going on with this group of people, right? The Corinthians were doing this agape, gone, uh, or this agape feast gone bad, and the things that Paul's pointing out were the unworthy manner. That's what was going on. He's exhorting the believer to examine himself or herself before they take of communion. We're in full agreement with that. On the basis of this passage, many think that they're unworthy to partake of communion if they're struggling with a certain sin or wrestling with a particular temptation. So I think that that reasoning is equivalent to a doctor saying to a sick person, get well and then come see me. Or a loan officer at a bank saying, get some money and then come talk to me. Even a cook saying, you're starving? Gain some weight and then I'll give you a meal. I mean, they're ridiculous, aren't they? It just doesn't make sense. So the Lord's table is the very place for the person who is struggling with sin, wrestling with temptation, or caught up in carnality to come. For it's there that they can say, Lord, I desperately need you in my life. I recognize that the very thing I struggle with, you died for. I take of your body and your blood knowing I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. I celebrate and rejoice what you did for me. That's what the table's for. So as we come before him, as we examine ourselves, certainly we're instructed to do that. Examine ourselves. Recognize if there's sin in our life. Take it to the one who's covering the sin, Jesus Christ. He's the one that can do something with it. You can't hang on to it and expect anything good to come out of that. Take it to Christ where forgiveness can be found. So someone who thinks that they're unworthy to take of communion, sometimes they can be more focused on themselves than they are on Christ and what He can do for them. Communion is for us to focus on Christ. Yeah, the text does say examine yourself. But examine yourself in light of what Christ did for you. You are in Him. You belong to Him. If you belong to Christ, you are in Christ. The sin is forgiven. Communion doesn't save us. 
what it represents does. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we are to do this as we come to the communion table. We are to examine ourselves. We're to recognize our sin. We're to recognize Christ died for that sin. We're to confess the sin to Him, repent of that sin, accept His forgiveness, and take communion with the Lord because of what He has done for us. We need to rejoice in His provision and His soon return. And I think we would all agree that there's only two kinds of people in the world. Out of all of the nations and races and everything else, there's only two kinds of people. Saved and unsaved. That's the only two kinds of people groups that there really are that matter. Those that have a relationship with Christ and those that don't. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you've accepted Christ's sacrifice for your sin, you can take of communion in a worthy manner. How? Examine yourself. Recognize your sin. Recognize Christ died for it. Confess your sin to Him. Repent of that sin. Accept His forgiveness and take of communion. So tonight I realize uh, this group of people, I know most everyone here, but not everybody, there could be someone here that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. And for you, you're listening to all this and just saying, I don't know what you're talking about. You're going all along about communion. I don't understand what that's all about. You wouldn't. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you look around this room, I challenge you to do this. If you're here and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, look around this room and every head, every face in this room represents someone who were right where you were at one time. We were all there. And the love of Christ reached out to us, we responded to it, and we belong to Him. And you have the opportunity to do that tonight. How? Same, same steps. Examine yourself. Recognize your sin. Recognize that Christ died for it. Confess your sin to Him. Repent of that sin. Accept His forgiveness and come to the communion table with the rest of us. Gang, we, it's so easy for us to get into a place where we could very well be uh, ritualistic. It's an easy place. I don't mean as a, as a whole, but as individuals, it's a very easy place to get to. Come in on a Wednesday night, we're tired, uh, we've worked all day, uh, whatever's been going on in our lives, and... Uh, it's the night that we do communion. Think, oh, wow, the teaching should be over by now. We've got more time now for communion. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I thought the teaching would be over by now as well, but <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, but we have the opportunity. I think it's one of the times that we can come so close to the Lord in, in relating to Him. <coughs> Because he said, do this, I present this to you as a way to remember what I did for you. And we're doing the same thing that his apostles would have been doing at the Last Supper. We're doing the same thing as the early church would have been doing. Hopefully we're not doing the same thing as the Corinthians were. 
<laughs> we want to be different than that. But we have the opportunity to come together as a body of believers and break bread together, recognizing all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we have this opportunity, Lord. We're thankful that, again, in this group, we recognize that there could be those that don't have relationship with you, Father. We don't know who they are. Uh, Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here. Uh, Lord, you want to deal with hearts. You want to, Father, touch the heart of the person or person that uh, has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, has not recognized that you died on the cross for their sins. Uh, they have sinned. We all have sinned, fallen short of your righteous requirement but Lord you provided a way out with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and we are so grateful that for that Lord we would have no hope of salvation without that so whether you're here hearing this message for the first time this good news of Jesus Christ that he wants to forgive you of your sin to wash you clean to allow you the opportunity to have fellowship with him and fellowship with believers because of a decision that you've made. And for those of us that already have relationship with the Lord, we have that opportunity to examine ourselves as well and recognize those things that aren't right, to recognize those things that we fall short in and bring them to you, Lord. Lay them down at your feet knowing that you've promised us forgiveness. If we just recognize that sin and confess it to you and repent, and Lord, just ask you for the strength to go and say no more. So Lord, we offer these things up to you tonight. We desire to come to the communion table refreshed and renewed and this hope of salvation that we have in you knowing of the sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us individually. You had us on your heart when you died on the cross. And we are so grateful for that. But Lord, we know that you didn't stay in the tomb. You didn't stay in the grave. You rose again and you sat at the right hand of the Father alive, making intercession for us. You've given us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and encourage us to be our helper as we walk out our walk. And so Lord, we will take of these elements tonight, hopefully with a different focus. Not that our focus has been wrong in the past, but that, Lord, we just truly want to connect with you through what we know these elements represent. Your broken body and your shed blood for us, each one of us. We just give you thanks for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we pray. The elders are